1: on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Policy, politics, and plexiglass. I'm live in Salt Lake City with a complete preview of the vice presidential debate. We've got every angle covered, plus the latest on fiscal stimulus talks. You don't want to miss that either. Lots to get through. Mike Pence versus Kamala Harris. Stakes have never been higher, folks. The Trump campaign, well... They need to change the trajectory of this race. Senator Harris, she needs to firm up the support from the left. She also has to, uh, really, it's a reintroduction of sorts for a national audience. And both of them with health so much at the forefront of this debate, of this race, really. Both of them have to truly pass that commander-in-chief test, just being a heartbeat away from the presidency. Meanwhile, tons of news back home in Washington, D.C. And that's why I'm so grateful to have my colleague, Josh Wingrove, joining us on the telephone line to give us an update all right josh the president went back to the oval office today give us the latest how's his health and then let's turn to fiscal stimulus talks
5: well there's two things it's how they say his health is and what we know about his health they say his health is fine they say he's feeling great this is six days after his diagnosis back in the oval office they say they're taking extra precautions for instance full ppe for his chief of staff mark meadows and Uh, senior aide Dan Scavino, who are uh, said to be in the room with them. No one else is allowed in the room with them. So essentially they're trying to say everything's good. But in terms of what we actually know, I mean, we haven't seen him since Monday. Uh, It sounds like he might record some kind of a video again. He hasn't appeared in public since Monday. Typical COVID patients would just now be entering the sort of crossroads of their case. We do not know what his specific vital signs are. They released that Monday, they didn't do that today. We do not know if he's still taking a steroid. And if he is, how long he'll take it for? It's a lot of open questions on this, but they're trying to at least, you know, give off some sense of normalcy. But, uh, you know, in doing so, we now have, you know, two COVID patients living in the White House, the president and the first lady, one of whom is now going between the residence and the Oval Office in the West Wing, which, you know, potentially raises, of course, the chances of transmission.
2: Well, you know this, I mean, from all your your coverage. I mean, so much of these debates are a, a lot of pomp and circumstances uh, and, and a lot of political jib-jabs back and forth. Uh, and they're fighting over plexiglass in terms of whether or not to have plexiglass up on the stage tonight. We're going to dive into it. In fact, uh, I I spoke earlier today with uh, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, big Lakers fan, but he's going to dive into that coming up in the next hour. I'll play for you my interview with Mayor Garcetti. Let me ask you about the fiscal stimulus talk, so let's get the policy uh, away from all the sideshow. What do we know? Are the negotiations back on, or what's going on?
5: Well, it looks like they're trying to do some kind of piecemeal deal, but uh, Nancy Pelosi's position is a little unclear. She's, you know, encouraging the White House to back a bill that she hasn't frankly shown all that much support for herself. Uh, but comprehensive stimulus still looks like it's off the table, whether they can try to meet again on something, like, for instance, on airlines. Uh, Trump has talked about sending checks to every American. You know, Pelosi hasn't wanted to do it a la carte like that because she wants a comprehensive fact that she doesn't want to give Republicans what they want in little bits and pieces. So it's a little bit up in the air. It doesn't frankly look great. I think Wall Street is consistently overestimated uh, the views in, on Capitol Hill of, of how, how, how big a chance yeah. <laughs> stimulus has of getting done. So I don't know. Uh, you know I, I, frankly, it, I don't see a lot of hope for it, but talks are continuing.
2: Well, I'm glad you brought up Speaker Pelosi because she went on The View earlier today, uh, ABC's The View, uh, to talk about fiscal stimulus. Uh, here she is on The View
0: He's just, again, rebounding from a a terrible mistake that he made yesterday. And the Republicans in Congress were going down the drain with him on that.
2: Now, I hear that uh, she's also going to be speaking tomorrow with our David Weston on Bloomberg Television. Uh, So look out for that cross-platform because Speaker Pelosi will be appearing on Bloomberg TV. Okay, so... You know, there's a lot of confusion, even from Speaker Pelosi's perspective. You got Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff, saying earlier that they want to have a more piecemeal approach. Uh, I mean, I I spoke with some staffers today on the back in D.C. on the Hill, and they were confused as to what's going on. I mean, is this all uh, to me? What is the argument you're hearing that they're making for calling the talks off, especially when there appears to be a significant dip for the president in the polls for the election?
5: Yeah, normally, you know, political leaders, no matter their stripe, love to send money to people before an election, this is usually they're trying to find ways <laughs> yeah. to do that, you know? Very good uh, point. So That's a very are, good people point. People are mystified. Like, Republican sources, uh, you know, it's a bit mixed. Uh, some of the more fiscal hawk types are applauding it, but you've seen some speak out saying they think it's a bad idea, and privately, uh, you know, I'm sure you're hearing the same, Kevin, like, it's... You know, they're sort of wondering, what is the deal here? You know, what, what is the president hoping to achieve? And the bottom line, though, is I'm not sure that there was much of a chance of these things uh, anyway. Like, I don't know that the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate were ever going to get to a number that Democrats in the House could swallow or vice versa. And in which case, you know, I think Trump said, well, there's no point in keeping doing this if it's not going to lead anywhere. But, you know, it would have been less politically risky for Trump, arguably, to just let it die out on its own. Now he's sort of planted a flag in it. And so, you know, people, it'd be easier for Democrats to point to him and say, well, Trump's the one who called off talk. So the reason why you're not getting any help with your eviction notice, not getting any help with extra employment, by the small business that you own, because, you know, help isn't coming around the corner anytime soon. You know, Trump has really made this this issue. And I, I, you know, I wonder if that will backfire. I suppose it's too early to tell, but it's just a wave, as you mentioned. Of uh, discouraging polls right now for the president.
2: Well, let's talk about some of those polls. Quinnipiac has the president trailing uh, Joe Biden in Pennsylvania as well as Florida by double digits. It also has him trailing to Joe Biden in in Iowa by 5 percentage points. That's a a state that uh, President Trump carried by 10 percentage points against Hillary Clinton back in 2016. There's ramifications not just at the top of the ticket. There's ramifications for the Senate, for the House. Senator Joni Ernst versus Teresa Greenfield in Iowa. I mean, that's it's just—it's really fascinating to watch the dynamics of this, which brings us right here to Salt Lake City, a state, mind you, where Senator Mike Lee, a Republican, is recovering from COVID nineteen. He's a member of the Senate Judiciary mm-hmm. Committee. What are you hearing from your sources, Josh, about what the president's going to be watching for tonight as his vice president debates Senator Harris?
5: I mean, you know, he's tuned in. <laughs> he can't <laughs> help himself, but yeah. tune in. Uh, you know, I—I I don't know. I mean. I err I a little bit towards team debates don't matter that much, but I've been eating my words a bit because the polls do seem to have moved after the president debate with Joe Biden. But, you know, if, if presidential debates don't matter that much, DP debates definitely don't matter that much. But I do think we're going to see a lot of issues come up. I think I think. Senator Harris is going to make this a lot about COVID. I think that they know that every time the topic is on COVID, they are winning. Uh, I think that's why this sort of plexiglass thing has dragged out. Uh, and uh, Mike Pence, Mike Pence is a good debater. I don't think people give him enough credit for that. Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris is a good debater as well. So I think I think we'll see pretty polished performances from the two, which means I think we probably won't see a knockout punch from either of them, which means I'm not sure there'll be that many memorable lines. But, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, Pence has routinely found a way to sort of stick, thread the needle between sort of saying Trumpism things in not quite the same, shall we say, uh, charged way that the president kind of says, yeah. kind of says it. in. he tried to, he puts a bit of a, a smoother edge on the same policy.
2: Josh, does the president think he's losing this race?
5: That's a great question. A lot of people don't know the answer to that. I certainly don't know the answer to that. But, you know, he's sowing distrust in the outcome of it, and that would indicate that he doesn't believe what he sees, right? Well, I mean, did, he thinks that overstating mail-in voting and so
2: forth. Well, do you think that this is inner circle, the sources that you talk to, do they think that he's, that he's uh, losing this race? The sources that I talk to, I would say it's a mixed bag. I think some of them think they're down, and others don't believe the polls. And I mean, that's kind of you know expected, but I, I'm curious for, for what you're gathering.
5: Yeah, I think I think I think the majority of them think that they are in a worse position now than they were a week or two ago. Or four years ago, the trend line is not going in the right direction. Uh, As for four years ago, yeah, definitely a lot of Republicans believe that the polls were way off, and you know that is you know giving them pause now. But you know, back four years ago, there were polls that showed Hillary Clinton with big leads, but not at this stage the right. margin that and, Joe Biden is consistently right. seeing.
2: Josh Wingrove, i got to let you go. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I know you've got a jam-packed day today. Thanks for emptying out your reporter's notebook with us. That's Josh Wingrove. He is Bloomberg White House reporter. Uh, and, and candidly, I spoke with a, a Biden world source today who said they're anxious. They're like, it, is it this easy? You know, they're anxious, so they're not sure they believe the polls. They're like, is this too good to be true? Lots more coming up from Salt Lake City as we await for the vice presidential debate. My name is Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg. Now Nine nine one.
1: This is Bloomberg's Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Did you know that Utah has a AAA rating and Utah has one of the lowest unemployment in the country? It's 4.8% right now, even amidst these crazy times. And it's the second most happiest. It's all right. I, I got to get this right. It's the second happiest state in the union. We're trying to figure out what is number one. But I was reading, Boyd Matheson sent me the Deseret News, you know, the local paper paper out here. And they had all these facts about Utah, great state, gorgeous state. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. A lot of people I talk to are happy out here. So it fits with the, the trend, as they say. I'm in Salt Lake for the vice presidential debate, which you can watch cross-platform, however you get your Bloomberg. Uh, tonight, David Weston, our David Weston, will be leading our coverage. I'm going to check in with, for, or, with uh, Pete Buttigieg as well as Rick Grinnell uh, throughout the course of the evening here in Salt Lake. Buttigieg was playing Mike Pence in the debate prep for Senator Harris. Fascinating. I, I wonder if they do the voice impersonations. I've always wondered that. I guess I'll never know. Stocks climbed today to a more than one-month high on renewed optimism that U.S. lawmakers could still reach an agreement on additional stimulus. Treasury and the dollar fell. The S&P 500 gained 1.7% after a barrage of overnight tweets from President Trump advocating a piecemeal approach to the fiscal stimulus. The president sent stocks tumbling late Tuesday by ending stocks with Ending talks with Democrats at Speaker Pelosi signaled openness to a standalone airline relief bill in a conversation with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin earlier today. Here to break down all of the volatility happening in the markets is David Bonson. He is a managing partner at the Bonson Group, which manages $2.3 billion in client capital. David, thank you so much for joining us. What happened in the markets today?
4: Well, it's uh, the other side of the volatility coin. People have the tendency to think volatility is a one-sided coin, and it's always bad and down. But, of course, volatility, by definition, means movement off of normal averages, either to the downside or upside. And right now, you just have this back-and-forth kind of headline trading. I do think some of it's algorithmic. But more than anything, I think there's a FOMO, a fear of missing out. I think people are afraid that a deal will end up getting done or a partial deal that will move markets. They don't want to miss it, and they certainly don't want to be short.
2: I'm struck by this. Treasury volatility jumped the most in a day since the onset of COVID turmoil in the United States. And, of course, minutes from the FOMC's September 15th, 16th meeting released earlier today, showed that some U.S. central bankers sought further debate on the future of the Fed's asset purchase program when they met last month. What did we learn from the minutes today, David?
4: Well, I think that there is this sort of ongoing theme of them wanting to telegraph. They're doing a form of forward guidance without having to actually give forward guidance. And so, when you see the things they're discussing, the things that are out there, some of the governors now, and I don't just mean Chairman Powell, you know, Fed chairmen, or even in the case of Janet Yellen, women have been notorious, um, you know, sharers of informational perspective outside of minutes for some time. Now you have tons of governors that will share things, and it helps markets sort of price in the fact that there is this kind of mental bias towards uh, whatever the case may be. And in this case, the case is more accommodation. There is a very strong belief that they, if anything, um, are not doing enough to to help labor conditions. Chairman Powell can't come out and say that because it gets in the way of his message right now, which is to Congress, please give us more fiscal. So while he's asking for fiscal, you get things like the minutes showing that the central bank intends to be continually accommodative.
2: So, I mean, I think this is really, really important, and I think you just explained it incredibly well, which is, is what more can the central bank do to put pressure on the White House and Congress to pass additional fiscal stimulus? What more can they do other than make statements?
4: There isn't anything else they can do. Um, the, there's a long
2: history of central banks asking for
4: more support. Um, you can look to Europe for, for a little bit of a precedent. I think at some point post Financial crisis. Draghi basically made the decision of the ECB that he was on his own and that he believed that that by offering unlimited bazooka level monetary stimulus, that that would be necessary for their objectives because he did not think there would be further support on the fiscal side. Of course, they have a very different structure, a very, in my mind, dysfunctional um, blend of fiscal and monetary relationships, where here in our case, uh, we have a form of government, and so the central bank can make their case. But at the end of the day, I think most people understand that you're probably looking at a post-election um, resolution if there's going to be anything real significant. What moved markets today, and what the president, in his you know third or fourth round of tweeting last night, alluded to, was very targeted—something specific around airline. And, and direct support. And that's my guess where they're, if they're going to get anything done, that's what it's going to be for the time being.
2: David Bonson's on the line. He's the managing partner of the Bonson Group, which manages $2.3 billion in client capital. David, you know, there seemed to be just two weeks ago this expectation that election volatility would uh, mean volatility in the markets. Of course, markets like divided government. Typically, the markets do better when there is divided government and do worse when there is one party in power, particularly with a wide sweeping majority. Now, have the markets adjusted? Or are they reacting at all to what appears to be an expanding lead for Joe Biden? Or are they still anticipating election volatility? And do they anticipate a sweep by any one party or divided government?
4: Well, here's what I will say to that, because I think a lot of people are somewhat surprised by market response. Uh, The market is up a few thousand points since the beginning stage earlier in the summer of where uh, Joe Biden's lead began to solidify, and then the betting markets were also verifying it. So this isn't just a case where the market's betting that the polls are wrong. The betting markets are defending the polls. Um, But where I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity for uh, volatility is in the Senate, because I don't believe markets have any ability to price in how four or five different Senate races are going to go. And I think there's a reasonable expectation, again, looking to polls and other political metrics that the Republicans are going to pick up the Alabama seat, so start at 54, but then they have a good five or so to have to defend. And, and uh, the North Carolina situation appears to be potentially breaking in the Republicans' favor. But Arizona and Colorado are very much looking to be in the Democrats' camp. So you may have Iowa, Montana, um, really kind of You know, and Susan Collins race in Maine, two or three seats are probably going to determine the outcome. How do markets price in what Joe Biden can do legislatively if they don't know which way the Senate's going? So to me, there's a lot of room for volatility in November, both based on the outcome and all the things I'm talking about with you right now, but also based on a no outcome, which can really put markets in disarray in the month of November.
2: I think that that is so smart, folks. If you're listening to David Bonson, it's the Senate that's what you have to watch, because if, if, if Democrats take control of the Senate, then we start talking about more judges on the Supreme Court. We start talking about much more uh, taxes and the like. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't, especially if there's a supermajority. Hey, I heard through the grapevine, David Bonson, that you read a lot of theology. What's your favorite C.S. Lewis book?
4: Well, that is, you heard correctly, and I have been on Bloomberg TV and radio many times and never had anyone ask me
2: that question. So. I do my homework. I didn't yeah. get here because I didn't. You know what I mean? You can't get out of Delco otherwise. Look, Go ahead.
4: C.S. Lewis have so many good ones, but anyone who answers anything other than screw tape letters is missing the Ah of
2: that book. I love it. I love it. David Bonson, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I truly appreciate it for lending your expertise. He is, of course, the managing partner of the Bonson Group, managing $2.3 billion in client capital. Coming up, debate preview, debate night in America. Will it be smoother than last week? Who knows? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Policy, politics, and plexiglass. I'm live in Salt Lake City ahead of tonight's vice presidential debate. All of that, plus fiscal stimulus talks. Speaker Pelosi was on The View saying that she's open to a piecemeal approach. The latest on fiscal stimulus and what happened in the markets today. I'm going to bring you my interview with Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. And we've got an all-star panel to navigate through. Salt Lake drama. Throughout the night on our special coverage of the vice presidential debate, I'm going to speak with Rick Fernell, Pete Buttigieg. So we'll talk to, to all of them as we as we count down, count down to the uh, VP debate here in Salt Lake. I got a copy of the Deseret News with me above the fold headline, Plexiglass barriers to separate Pence and Harris, Salt Lake Tribune. Meanwhile, their lead story salt lake city needs to return to orange the mayor says so they've got to implement new restrictions because of covid 19. covid 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 that's the dominant dominant topic tonight as susan page moderates this 90 minute debate nine segments 10 minutes a pop she's not saying what the segments are we don't know the topics they haven't been disclosed they're going to be separated like a triangle. I guess of sort a triangle on the on the debate stage of the University of Utah, they're going to have 12 and 12 feet 3 inches. I don't know where they got the 3 inches from, but 12 feet 3 inches between them, and plexiglass barriers. That's what they're talking about here in Salt Lake. Okay, joining me for the hour, Tyler Deaton, Republican strategist and fundraiser, president of Allegiance Strategies, and Fred Hochberg former export-import bank chairman, and he's the author of this new book, Trade is Not a Four-Letter Word. Read it if you want to get up to speed on what's going on in the trade world. Uh, he was, of course, uh, he's a Democrat. He's, he's for, uh, for Biden. Okay, Tyler, Fred, thanks for being with me. Tyler, what are you looking for tonight? Give me your thoughts. What are your previews? <laughs> Tyler, are you there? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said Fred. No, I'll I said tell Tyler. you what I'm looking for. Tyler, Tyler um, on this show, you got to pay attention, buddy. you got to listen, clearly.
3: buddy. Um, Go ahead. Look, I'm watching for the fact that the we've never had a debate between two vice presidential candidates where both of them are more likely to be president one day. So that's wow. what I'm looking Sweet. for. You have two people here who can both be president. Um, And look, there are some people who would say they could be president even sooner than in the next four years. And so I think that the stakes are very high. I think people will be tuning in. Um, I think there's a lot of interest in how Mike Pence is going to talk about the administration. And I think there's just a lot of interest in Kamala Harris because she's still relatively new on the national scene.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important to note here because everyone in D.C. and all of the strategists and whatnot, they are all noting the presidential ambitions that both of these individuals harbor to some extent privately, but increasingly publicly. And as you rightfully point out, the health of the top of their respective tickets is very much a factor in this commander in chief heartbeat away from the presidency test that they face. Fred, what's on your, what are you going to be watching for? Give us your opening thoughts on the debate
6: no, I think I think that, that's that's uh, spot on. I think that that's clearly uh, gives a little more energy. And frankly, the debate last week was so disheartening and so uninformative. I think people and Americans are looking for, okay, how will uh, why should Trump and Pence get another four years and listen to what will uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden do for American families over the next four years? So I think people are hungering for a little bit of substance which was totally lacking from the shout-fest of last week.
2: Yeah, I hope we get more than plexiglass. I really do, because, you know, it is so important, because even it, I don't like when the pundits say, oh, well, there's only so much of the movable middle that's left or in single digits. The reason I don't like that is because you watch a debate to become informed. For the, Even if the person that you don't want to win, you still deserve to know, as an American, the direction that the country is headed in. And that's why I think that's what I think we've missed from all of our conversations in the media about these debates. I mean, you deserve to know where someone stands on tax policy. You deserve to know where they stand on on infrastructure spending. You deserve to know where they stand on geopolitics and how they would deal with China, how they would deal with with very important allies in the Middle East like Israel. You deserve to know that. Fred, Senator Harris, you know, is a tour de force in terms of democratic politics. But does she have to what does she have to do to, to 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 appease the base without moving too much to the middle? Because there's a lot of people that I talk to who are who who say that she's way too far to the left to, to be to 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 have a significant impact in battleground states.
3: Well I'll tell you oh, I I could don't say a lot of good yeah. I could say a lot of good things about Kamala Harris from my side of the aisle Um, I think it's that a lot of people just still don't know her, and she has to prove that she is ready to be president if she's called upon, and I think that that's the task before tonight. and I think that is tough. It's tough to do in 90 minutes, and you don't have all the 90 minutes to yourself, so she's going to have to prove that she is commander-in-chief material, but look, Vice President Pence has a tough job, too, because I think his job is he has to assure the American people that this administration really does have things under control. And I think that that's a hard job for him to be able to convey as vice president. And so I don't see they how, have very I, different, he, very different goals.
2: Go ahead, Fred. I yeah, feel like you is, want to say something.
6: I don't it. know how Vice President Pence can say they have things under control. When one of the most toxic places right now is the White House. Uh, in terms of this contagion. And so uh, I know that President Trump and and Vice President Pence would like to believe they've handled this superbly, excellently. Uh, the, The facts don't show that. And the fact is, and we see in the White House itself, the kind of risk being put on White House staffers, plus just the permanent staff that runs the White House, is quite concerned right now. So I'm not sure how we can make the case why they should get Four more years, based on what's happened so far.
2: Fred, answer, Fred. Let me let me re-ask this question about Senator Harris. What does she have to do to sh- can she can she move to the middle or no? Fred,
6: yeah, I, I th- yes, I think absolutely. She's not that she's not that leftist a person. I've known her um, since her time in the Senate. i uh, got to know I got to know her very well when she was helping. Uh, and campaigning with Bill Nelson down in Florida in 2018. No, um, so she is a very, both feet on the ground. She's a realist. She wants to get things done. And uh, what we're looking for is people who will actually accomplish something, not just feel-good candidates. And Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are exactly that.
2: All right. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk much more about the policy and the politics uh, behind the upcoming vice presidential debate, plus my interview with Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti and the latest on the fiscal stimulus front, because we got some new developments today from the White House uh, on the fiscal stimulus front. It really is a dizzying day. I'm struck by this just in terms of to dip dive into the markets for a second. Uh, The tech stock's not really reacting to that House subcommittee antitrust uh, report that came out yesterday, not really Impacting uh, what happened on the markets with, with big tech. I was struck by that, obviously, uh, off of our interview with Congressman Ken Buck from yesterday as well. All right, much more to get to, to and through here in sunny Salt Lake City. Download the Bloomberg Soundoff podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: My name is Kevin Cirilli. Tomorrow, David Weston interviews Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi about fiscal stimulus talks. We're going to talk about that in just a second uh, on this program. But before we do... Before we do, earlier today in Salt Lake City, I caught up with Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti for his thoughts on the contrast that we will see tonight between Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris. Take a listen to what he said.
7: I think you're going to see a clear contrast, not just in terms of policies, but in terms of people. And there's no question Vice President Pence is an experienced debater. He's somebody who comes across very warmly. But that doesn't change the policies that he is behind, policies that have led to 200,000 Americans losing their lives. And now as we see an outbreak in the center of our government, where we have everybody from our uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff to key White House officials and the president himself, uh, who cannot go out in public and have been affected by this. You will see a seriousness of a Joe Biden Kamala Harris plan to deal with COVID-19, restore our economy, versus this administration that would rather fight about wearing a mask or whether there's plexiglass uh, instead of actually saving lives.
2: Specifically on the economy, moving toward the economy, because no matter who is president, whether it's in six or nine months, the economic recovery will be front and center in terms of getting America back on track. What contrast will she draw with Vice President Pence specifically on the economy?
7: Well, I think the contrast we've seen this week, unfortunately, you saw this president walk away from the assistance that our key industries, our local governments, and our first responders need, literally walking away from the assistance that should be a bipartisan priority. You talk to an average family out there, they're not looking at the unemployment statistics and saying, oh, this economy is great. Uh, Talk to somebody who works in a restaurant, a stewardess who works at an airline, they are suffering and they need help. And if you can't prioritize that, if you don't have a plan in our worst moment, you certainly don't have a plan for the future. On the other hand, what you have with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is a Build Back Better plan four pillars to invest in our infrastructure, take care of those who care for us, to deal with racism in our country, and also to make sure that we have manufacturing in all of America again. That is a concrete plan that is such a contrast to the chaos we see coming out of well, Trump's me, America. Let
2: me press you on this, because you're, you're a mayor in a state yeah. where the governor has recently come out and said they want to have clean energy vehicles uh, in in a couple of decades, but mm-hmm. they've mandated it essentially. Yeah. Now, Joe uh, nominee Biden has come under uh, pressure from Republicans, especially in states where fracking is incredibly important and vital yeah. to states' economy, battleground states like Pennsylvania. So, how how does the campaign balance that with wanting to go for new energy that's safe for the environment, but also protecting jobs?
7: It, this isn't a choice, and it's not a balance. Any place from Appalachia to the Pacific Coast that's investing in green infrastructure is investing in careers and middle class jobs for the future. So anybody who is not doing that is leaving jobs on the table. Americans deserve uh, a president and a vice president who will take care of them and their children and future jobs. We've been very clear that that is not gonna be in new gas and oil, that is gonna be in making sure we have renewable energy and infrastructure across America and that that contrast could not be clearer.
2: You also being from California, of course, know uh, Senator Harris, given that she represents uh, the state of California, the commander in chief test. I mean, that is heartbeat away from the president. That's so incredibly vital. What can you tell us about uh, your own experience working with her that gives you confidence that she is ready to be commander in chief.
7: I've known Kamala Harris for over 15 years. I've traveled with her abroad representing our country. I've seen her uh, look at international, you know, heads of state who have come to California, and as a senator, as a member of our Intelligence Committee, she is ready to lead, and she is ready to be a vice president to Joe Biden. Probably the best trained candidate we've ever had when it comes to foreign relations that in our history to be able to make sure we restore our reputation, that we go back to our friends and restore alliances, and that we deal with the threats of the world from terrorism to climate change, and don't back off of leadership, but actually bring that together. So I'm excited, both on a personal level, as somebody who's known her for a long time, but also just on a political level, to have somebody that I think when you have Kamala Harris overseas in other countries, when they see the daughter of immigrants from the Caribbean and from uh, South Asia, that will change people's attitudes towards America There's a historic nature to her candidacy. Absolutely.
2: That was my interview with LA Mayor Eric Garcetti. What they didn't play for you was his. he then proceeded to trash talk the Miami Heat. And he said he predicted that the Lakers are going to take the series in five games on Friday. And then he proceeded to call out Mayor Suarez, the mayor of Miami, where we're headed next week as of now, for the presidential debate. And uh, look, I guess, I guess he's a Lakers fan, LeBron, LeBron Central. Uh, joining us now to talk fiscal stimulus, not the Lakers, Fred Hochberg. He's a Democratic insider, former chairman of the Export-Import Bank. Hey, Fred, are you going to watch the game Friday? No. I don't <laughs> watch basketball games. You know that. You knew that before. <laughs> I'm sorry, Fred. Tyler Deaton, Republican strategist. You're trying fundraiser. to embarrass me in no. front of your audience. That's what you're <laughs> trying to You're <laughs> no. trying to humiliate me publicly. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. For the record, that is not true at all. I, I, when, you were chair- <laughs> when you were chairman of the bank, we always talked basketball. Tyler Dayton, Republican strategist and fundraiser, president of Allegiance uh, Strategies. I want to talk about fiscal stimulus because talk about a, a 180. So yesterday on the show, we talked about how the president tweets out that he doesn't want to do fiscal stimulus talks until after the election. Then, this morning, the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, as well as Secretary Mnuchin, Larry Kudlow, they all flood the airwaves, they talk to the press, and they say, you know what, we want to do a piecemeal approach. Speaker Pelosi then goes on ABC's The View, and she had this to say. Take a listen to Speaker Pelosi on The View with regards to fiscal stimulus.
0: He's just, again, rebounding from a a terrible mistake that he made yesterday. And the Republicans in Congress were going down the drain with him on that.
2: Tyler Deaton, uh, are we going to get to a deal before the election or not? I mean, you look at these polls. I don't understand why President Trump wouldn't do it. Tyler.
3: Tyler. It's all up to President Trump. It's 100 percent up to President Trump because right now congressional Democrats are unified. But I have to say, congressional Republicans right now, they don't know where to go. They don't know what, what position they're supposed to take in these negotiations. And, I, you know, I could identify at least three different factions among just the Senate Republicans where some people want no deal, some people want a big deal. And until President Trump says exactly what he wants, we're not going to see congressional Republicans get unified, and we're not going to have any chance of a deal coming together. But we need a deal to come together. It's a win for everybody, it's a win politically for both parties, but it's really it's a win for the American people. There are millions of people unemployed, hurting families. We need yeah. to pass this as soon okay. as possible, and, okay. and it's up to President Trump.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, hold it right there because coming up we got much more on the fiscal stimulus front. My name is Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We checked in with L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti earlier. Now let's head to the right. T.W. Shannon joins us. It's his first time on the program. We're thrilled to have him. He's the former Oklahoma Speaker of the House, the youngest, I believe. I believe the youngest ever. Oklahoma Speaker of the House, and he is the co-chairman of the Black Voices for Trump. T.W., thank you for joining us. What are you going to be – give us your preview, your you know, your memo, your to-do list. What are you looking for tonight in Salt Lake City when inside of Kingsbury Hall at the University of Utah they stand separated by the plexiglass?
8: Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me today. Well, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to hear – you know, really, Kamala Harris try to defend her position on some of the radical uh, positions that she's taken. I mean, whether we're talking about, you know, the charge she's led on the $32 trillion government takeover of health care, or her explaining uh, wanting to support giving, you know, taxpayer-funded health care to illegals, I mean, or, or the $93 trillion of the Green New Deal that she co-sponsored. I'm looking forward to her facing the American people to talk about some of the radical ideas that she's putting forward. Uh, because I, I think once people start comparing where she is and uh, on the issues and, and why Joe Biden would align with her, um, I think it's going to become even more apparent why Donald Trump and Mike Pence are the right ticket. So I think tonight will be a spirited debate. These are two very well-trained, um, uh, competent, uh, capable people. But um, I think it's clear that, you know, the, the left has gotten really out of step, what I think most of most of America.
2: T.W. Shannon's on the line. He is uh, the uh, president and CEO of Chickasaw Community Bank, formerly Bank 2. And, uh, you know, let me follow up on healthcare because healthcare, especially right now, for, for Republicans who voted for President Trump, who voted for a Republican-controlled Senate, who voted for there to be some type of bipartisan moving away from Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, why should they give Republicans another chance if they didn't take the opportunity before them several years ago?
8: Well, I think because I think by any standards, Obamacare has been an epic failure. I mean, when you look at the cost, the number Well, of let me jump in here. Not un-
2: that no Obamacare has been an epic failure, but, but what about they said they were going to replace it. Why haven't they replaced it?
8: Well, I I, I think first you've got to recognize that Obamacare has been an epic failure. That's why so many people, even when we were faced with this pandemic, even when you look at the numbers for African-Americans, the number of African-Americans that are still uninsured, it's still unaffordable, Um, you know, socializing medicine just does not provide the, the access to care it was promised. And and I think that's the the real issue. And and what President Trump has always targeted is a free market approach to health care. And I think that's what I think is missing in the equation uh, for how we bring health you know health care costs down and the president has even you know promoted measures to bring down the cost of prescription drugs that's been a big part as well but in addition to health care I think the biggest issue on people's minds right now is the economy um, and how do we well, hold on because I want to get to the economy
2: but I didn't hear an answer to my question why isn't why didn't they replace Obamacare that's the third time now sir that I've asked they had the opportunity. Um,
8: well again the the president has had to work with a a pretty um, a, a pretty uh, aggressive uh, House that has been unwilling to move forward even when you look at the pandemic. I mean, we can't even get Nancy Pelosi and the, and the, and the Democrats in the House to put forward a covert relief bill uh, that provides relief to American people. So, yeah, there's certainly been some challenges, but I think one of the reasons that the President has been so focused on not just repealing Obamacare, but making sure that we increase market principles so that people have a choice in health care um, and, and make sure that people have a job opportunity. Certainly uh, this year has been focused on the pandemic um, and, and issues there. But I, I think as we move forward, what you're going to find is the president has uh, done a, a really good job of, 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 I think, putting together an agenda that's going to keep the economy moving forward. Because right now, I think what people are really looking for is, am I going to have a job next year? Uh. Um, that's the most important thing. Am I going to be able to afford anybody's health care plan, much less one that's not affordable under Obamacare?
2: So I hear you on the economy, and I, I hear you on the economic angst that is all across the country. And so, you know, and I, and I put this question to Democrats, but obviously since you're speaking as a surrogate for the campaign, I'll, for the presidential election campaign, I'll put this to you. Here's a Here's a president who ran as a dealmaker. So why not strike a deal with Speaker Pelosi? I get that she wants to spend more money than the right, but why not get some more fiscal stimulus so that airline industry workers, refinery workers, and all of these other folks who are, are hurting right now can get some of the relief that they needed yesterday. It just feels like a symptom of Washington, D.C.
8: Well, you know, the president was very um, active in putting forward the first CARES Act, the Payroll Protection Plan. Um, he was able to do that. That provided more than 521 billion in forgivable loans to more than five billion, five billion businesses. Um, there was also 17 billion in small business relief as well. So, the president has been very active. It, it, the problem was the bill that Nancy Pelosi put back in May uh, had no Republican support on it. It had, in fact, it was done behind closed doors uh, because she wasn't serious. Her real focus was really on bailing out these liberal cities that have failed to protect their public and are now in dire straits because of their economy and because of their unreasonable closures that they've put on businesses in in, in their city limits. So that's the real challenge that I think has been presented to moving forward uh, a real stimulus bill that's going to provide relief to the American people. It's Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House. That's been the issue.
2: I I I want you to clear this up because this is so incredibly important and so many people are trying to figure out what happens to their job, what happens to their health insurance, uh, regardless of the outcome of the November 3rd elections. Here we are staring down uh, the, the, the the November 9th, 10th opening arguments from the Affordable Care Act case before the Supreme Court. Obviously, Judge Amy Coney Barrett going through the confirmation process for the Supreme Court. But if, if that struck down, will the Republicans move to, to, to have a new type of health care or health care that doesn't impact the 30 million Americans at least who would be impacted by that. In other words, people who can disagree with Obamacare but are nervous that if Obamacare is ruled unconstitutional that they're going to lose coverage. That's a very real concern even amongst Republicans, sir.
8: Well, there's no doubt you mentioned the, um, the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett and I think Um, You know, as those hearings begin next week, you know, there's been a huge objection by the Democrats to, you know, a hybrid hearing that's really disingenuous. I mean, the Senate has held over 150 of those hybrid hearings. And so I'm anxious to see um, um, how the Senate moves forward with that, because she is a qualified nominee. But certainly, yeah, I absolutely believe that, you know, health care is going to continue to be an issue that Republicans are fighting for. Uh, But certainly it's going to take it's going to take uh, getting the Democrats in the House that have just been obstructionists, frankly, to move forward on something that really moves uh, the needle on the health care issue and providing affordable access to health care. That's the challenge that Obamacare has failed to meet. You know, what what I remember, I was in the state legislature, I was Speaker of the House, when Obamacare was moving uh, through the country. And I remember it was supposed to be this panacea that was going to create a new wave of people being insured, a new wave of people affording access to health care. But the problem is people haven't got and healthier. And we can talk a lot about health care, but at some point we have to talk about health. Um, and that's a, that's a major issue that I think Obamacare has really fa- failed to address, which is health care. But you're right. Uh, Republicans, should it be struck down, it's going to have to be a priority to move something forward uh, that is affordable for the American people.
2: All right, one minute left. Tell me what you're going to be watching for for Mike Pence tonight when he debates Senator Harris.
8: You know, Mike Pence has been a terrific public servant. Um, He's a man of character. I don't think there's anybody that questions that. But he's also going to get a chance to really tell the story of all of the amazing accomplishments that have uh, happened over the last four years. I mean, you know, whether it's working with, you know, President Trump and leading in the great American comeback, which has already delivered over 11.4 million jobs back to the economy in just five months. Um, I think they've got a great record, and I'm hopeful that he's going to have time to lay that out because once you compare the record of the uh, Trump Pence record to that of Joe yeah. Biden's 47 years, I don't think there's any, there's not going to be any, okay. any comparison for the American people.
2: All right. Thank you so much, sir. That's T.W. Shannon, and uh, he, of course, uh, is uh, T.W. Shannon, who, of course, is the former Oklahoma Speaker of the House and the co-chair of the Black Voices for Trump. More coming up next. I'm Kevin cerilli. This is Bloomberg
1: 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Kevin Cirilli, chief or... I'm Kevin Srly, Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're here in Salt Lake City ahead of tonight's vice presidential debate. Let's just go through the logistics, shall we? Plexiglass is gonna separate them. They're 12 and a half or they're 12 feet three inches apart from one another. Susan Page of USA Today is gonna moderate. Nine topics, ten minutes of pop. We don't know what the topics are, but I can guarantee you economy, COVID. And the like. It comes on a day in which stimulus talks have continued to stall back in Washington, D.C., and new polls have President Trump trailing in battleground states, double digits, according to Quinnipiac, and PA, Florida, and even Iowa. The president, for his part, forcefully bulldozing through, tweeting a lot, dozens of times at least, throughout the last 24 hours, saying, urging his supporters to vote, and uh, and questioning the legitimacy of the polls. Tyler Deaton's with me, Republican strategist. Fred Hochberg's with me, former Export-Import Bank chairman in the Obama White House, author of the book that everyone's talking about in Wonk World, Trade is Not a Four-Letter Word. It's a great read. Highly encourage you to read it, because especially if you want to dive into the, the specifics on uh, policy as it relates to trade. Tyler I want to ask you this because I didn't really get a straight answer from my last guest, which is, what would the Republicans replace Obamacare with, especially if it's struck down by the Supreme Court in mid-November?
3: Well, and I think you were asking, you know, why wasn't it repealed? The reason why it was not repealed in the first two years of the Trump administration is that, as I said earlier about another topic, Republicans have been divided. And Republicans are going to need leadership on this issue. I think that the health care subject has been elusive for Republicans now for about the past decade. And we are going to have to move very quickly. If the Affordable Care Act is struck down by the court, that means that young adults 25 and under could be kicked off insurance. It means that people who are in the expanded Medicaid programs could be kicked off. Um, we're talking about tens of millions of people whose health care and their health insurance could be jeopardized. And the reason I bring and it up is
2: it doesn't I, I'm not like respectfully to it, whether you agree with Obamacare or disagree with Obamacare, there's confusion in the marketplace if this thing gets struck down. So I think that a citizen deserves clarity on what happens if their health care is struck down as illegitimate. It's not their fault that Washington, D.C. created a law that's unconstitutional should the Supreme Court do it, Tyler. So I just, I, I, Look, to me, I it's a lot agree. of confusion. It's a lot of confusion. And
3: here's here's where I would say that the rubber hits the road is that um, we're in a pandemic. And I'm actually yep. surprised that health care as a subject hasn't become a bigger issue. And, and in the polling that I see privately on the Republican side, it is a weakness for Republicans. And so I think tonight we should expect that one of the nine topics will be health care. Um, and, and I hope that Vice President Pence talks a little bit about what Republicans are prepared to do. I do know that we're prepared to make sure that pre existing conditions are continued to be covered um, under health insurance. But there's a lot here. And I think that we all just have to admit, Republican and Democrat, that if the Supreme Court comes to a decision that the individual mandate was unconstitutional, There is going to have to be a bipartisan effort. And I really mean that. Democrats and Republicans are going to have to come up with a new way to make sure that these tens of millions of people who get kicked off health insurance get coverage during a pandemic.
2: Well, one of the things that I hope doesn't happen tonight, Fred, is that they relitigate the crash of 2018 like they did last week without spending much time on the economic calamity that we find ourselves in in this moment.
6: I mean you have a party and a president who really don't believe in government.
2: And that's oh, Fred. fundamentally
6: the problem. Oh, what's the problem? They have we could have <laughs> easily can't. over the last decade made tweaks to Obamacare to make it better. But when you have one side that wants nothing to do with it but to end it without a replacement, that's All why right. we're in this dilemma.
2: All right, Fred, let's tell me what's on your radar. Make it policy oriented. What's on your radar tonight? Make it policy oriented for me on the VP debate. What's on your radar?
6: Well, I think on the radar is, is getting the country healthy and then getting our economy back. But first things first, we have to defeat and we have to move forward on, on this pandemic. And uh, right now, we don't seem to be doing that. And, you know, I know the president and Vice President Pence would like to walk as far away from the COVID crisis as possible. And those plexiglass barriers on the stage make it apparently clear we have a crisis and it is a crisis that, Has not been attended to. This election is a referendum on the leadership and the administration of Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Period.
2: Fred, I'm interviewing Mayor Buttigieg in like two hours. Two hours, Uh, and I know that that uh, uh, you were a prominent backer of his uh, presidential campaign. He was reportedly he was the one that played Mike Pence in the debate prep for Senator Harris. Did you know that, Fred? I did know that.
6: Well, he knows the, uh, he knows Mike Pence well. Mike Pence was the gov- uh, governor of Indiana. Uh, Pete Buttigieg was the mayor. So clearly, they—they they, he has firsthand and and personal experience with the vice president.
2: Have you ever been in, in debate prep, Fred, for any, any debate? Have you done? Do they imitate the voice? That's what I want to figure out.
6: Uh, you ask. You should ask uh, Pete Buttigieg that question.
2: All right, I'm going to say that you told me to ask. <laughs> Tyler, what's on your radar? Hey, well, am I
3: restricted to policy, too, or can I pick something political?
2: You can do whatever you want, Tyler.
3: Okay, cool. I'll tell you what I'm watching, <laughs> which is that um, the polling at the presidential level is apocalyptically bad right now for Terrible. President Trump. Yeah. But, but what I'm seeing is there's starting to be a little bit of a divergence between the presidential vote and the votes that people are casting for Senate. You've got these two really competitive races on the East Coast with Susan Collins in Maine, Tom Tillis in North Carolina. There've been a lot of new revelations about Tom Tillis' opponent having multiple extramarital affairs. And then you have Susan Collins, who is just running probably the most solid campaign in America right now. She's the most bipartisan senator in, in the United States Senate. And I just have a little bit of a sense from some of the polling that I'm seeing that both Tom Tillis and Susan Collins um, are positioned to be able to win. And this this creates a huge problem for Senate Democrats because their path to retaking the Senate goes through North Carolina and Maine. If they're not able to defeat Tom Tillis or Susan Collins, they've got to win in other much more Republican areas like South Carolina, like a Kansas, or one of these seats that's up in Georgia. But I do find that interesting that so many independent voters, I think, are starting to see the possibility... Of splitting their ticket, perhaps they may vote for Biden at the top, but then they're voting for Republicans to send to the U.S. Senate, and and I think that that's a growing trend that we could see more of here in the final weeks of the campaign.
2: Historically, is as does that typically happen, Tyler, or is that is that very is that a difficult it, hurdle? It for used to happen. Look, it
3: used to happen a lot. There used to be a total scramble between people's vote for president and senate. In 2016, it was the first time in the modern era that every state's electoral votes matched their Senate votes, but that's very recent, um, especially in Maine. There's a lot of independent voters. These voters are very elastic. They're willing to vote for people from both parties, and so that makes it possible for Susan Collins to get reelected. North Carolina, it's the same deal. There's just a lot of suburban voters who, while they might be turned off by President Trump, they still are more supportive of a Republican Senate majority, and so if people start to feel like Maybe these Democratic candidates for Senate are just a little too far left. Or if it becomes obvious that they're to the left of Joe Biden, then people might feel more comfortable sticking with these Republican incumbents.
6: That's a really, really I don't good know. Where, I don't know. Where. We got a minute I left, Fred. I don't know if that's real. I, I haven't seen that in the data. I mean, there's very little. Ticket but you're right. It hasn't happened. All right, we're
2: going to leave it there. Fred Hochberg, Tyler Deaton. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. uh, Make sure to tune into our cross-platform special coverage, special coverage all night long, uh, here in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, for the vice presidential debate. That does it for me. Thanks for listening. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1.